Hello everyone and welcome to a very relaxed The Lisa Burke Show. I'm recording from London and my guests I think are all in Luxembourg but who knows once I read their bios they could be anywhere in the world and this week's session is going to be all about getting the best of ourselves for our lives through fantastic coaches, all of whom have a base in Luxembourg. So let me tell you a little bit about our guest this week. I've got Dr. Keith Amos, who is a UK and Luxembourg national and has lived in Luxembourg for more than 20 years. He's worked with the UK Ministry of Defence and NATO, lived and worked all around the world, including the UK, Germany, Belgium, Norway, and of course, Luxembourg, primarily in human resources. In Luxembourg, Keith specializes in working with expats and others looking for a career change and has contributed to several books, including this wonderfully aptly titled Mastering the Game of Life. And as a fun fact, which I absolutely love, Keith does voiceovers and is the voiceover for the tour, the walking tour of Luxembourg Cathedral. Françoise Falise is a life coach with the International Coaching Federation specializing in interculturality. The COF method is a trainer and certified consultant for the AEC Disc Color Method and has 25 years experience living in Luxembourg, Belgium, Egypt, Morocco and Nigeria. So she certainly understands the challenges of expat life. She herself has experienced several culture shocks and substantial changes in personal and professional life and guides women particularly to develop their human and professional potential. She launched her own podcast, which we'll link to, Women Abroad in 2020, to enable women to share their experience of living and working abroad, and is currently writing her first book. And my final guest is Lindsay Whitby, who was born and raised in Zimbabwe, but immigrated to the UK when he was 22 due to the declining economic situation in Zimbabwe after completing an apprenticeship in aircraft maintenance and repair. 22 years later, after working in aircraft maintenance industry, he's now a life coach focusing on the essence of the human spirit and works on bringing more awareness, particularly to support boys, teenagers, fathers and men right into the corporate world. And so thank you all for joining me here on Zoom. It's great to have you with me. And I'm very much looking forward to this conversation because I think summertime, along with perhaps the the holiday period of Christmas, there are two points in our lives where we start to reflect and we have a moment to pause in our lives and we can reflect on perhaps where are we going what are we doing and where is life taking us? So Keith, I'm going to start with you because you're the one who's brought us all together and you introduced me to Francoise and Lindsay, fantastic backgrounds. And I've known of you, Keith, over the years I've lived in Luxembourg. So let's start a little bit with about mastering this game of life. Oh gosh, thank you. First of all, for a lovely introduction and for, for having us on, Lisa. And I, you know, I'm actually here in 
kind of sunny Luxembourg at the moment. I don't know whether whether it will last. It's been pretty miserable for the last few <laughs> weeks. But uh, I, I, um, mastering the game of life, if only we knew, right? If if we could all do that, then it would be fantastic. But the reality is that, uh, of course, we have ups and downs. And uh, one of the areas that particularly I'm interested in is is helping people through redundancies and and perhaps coming back to work after uh, a, a long time of absence through sickness and maternity, that type of things. But the, but but up mastering the game of life that that, that was uh, just something I was very lucky to make a contribution to to a book, and essentially it talks about the three, in my view, purely the three types of people that you meet in life. And the first type is the person who's basically your mentor. These are quite rare, these people, but they're the sort of person you look at them and you think, oh, I'd love to be like that. They, 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 whatever they do is great, and and they're such a good person and a nice person. And if only I could be like that. And you'll meet those people. Those people are like shooting stars. Grab them with both hands. If they're prepared to help you, work with you, support you, um, you won't meet many in life, but but those you do will be wonderful. Then there's the kind of the medians, I would call them. These, these people who are, they're not really doing you any harm, but they're not really bolstering you up either or supporting you in, in life. They're kind of sitting on the fence. So you meet an awful lot of those type of people. They, they're, they're acquaintances, they're, they're friends, but they're not, they're not there for you in times of need. And that's the majority. And the third type is the what I've called, because I, I, you'll meet them, you'll meet two or three of these in your life. What I call is the minotaurs. They absolutely do not have your best interests at heart. They're not there for you. They're deliberately doing you down. They're undermining you and all those nasty things. And what what I've said in this in this particular chapter of the book is okay. You're going to meet all of those people, but you'll learn something from all of them, even from those people who are actively um, working against you, because that helps you to understand how to deal with those type of people and indeed how not to be in life. So maybe I've rambled quickly through that, but that was that was the essence of it. That makes great sense indeed. Yeah. So you've met all three in your life oh, as well. Yes. And as I've got older, it's a, just a personal reflection. I've noticed that we do need to have mentors. And just going back to one of the things you said right at the top, you help people through redundancies. Mm. Well, I imagine at a point of redundancy, that might not be the only thing to shake somebody's life. Because so often redundancy comes at a point in a person's life where they have other issues going on. And that may have impacted their work. I, I can just recall a number of situations where I know people who have not been able to perform at their best at work because of other things going on in their life. And there hasn't been much compassion for that at work. And so for some people, many things hit at once. Mm. Well, that's true. It's funny, isn't it? Life, how good, good things happen kind of all at once and then bad things happen all at once come along in threes. That, that, that's really the nature of it. And also timing. Timing, it's never the right time. It's never the right time to be made redundant. It's probably never the right time to accept that new job you've been offered either. Timing is something that we, we can't do much about. We kind of just have to go with that. Um, but yeah, redundancy, uh, I faced it. I think everybody that I deal with uh, handles it in different ways. But there's a I mean, there's academic work on this, a thing called the Kubler-Ross change curve, which I find is pretty good. If I just quickly say what that is. And it's mostly that when when it happens to us, you know, when you get the knock on the door and someone says, oh, thanks for your service, but we're having a reorganization and I'm afraid we're going to have to let you go. 
Um, the first thing is kind of disbelief. You know, what, what, what happened? Me? No, that's, that, that can't be. No, it's not happening to me. That's, that's, that's not possible. And very often that's followed by anger. Why me? You know, what, 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 hang on. I've always performed so well for this company. You can't let me go. And then you dip down into maybe I can fix this. Maybe there's a way I can, maybe I can, I can resolve this. And ultimately you go through all these different stages, perhaps not necessarily sequentially, but you go through them and finally you get to that point, you accept it. It's going to happen. You've reached the bottom. You're fed up. You're miserable. You're depressed. You've lost your energy. That's when you can start building up again. And that's when you start to, to get your self-confidence back, start doing things. But um, it's 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 a horrible experience to go through, absolutely for sure. But there is another end to the the, the curve goes down that comes back up again. It sounds very much marriage advice you've just given there, <laughs> relationship advice. It's the same, Lisa. Actually, it is exactly it's exactly the same when you break up with that loved one. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now I wanted to ask you again. You make a very specific difference, Keith, between career coaching. Mm. And- compared to recruitment or headhunting mm. what is mm. different i mean let's let's dig down into this really sure. what is um well you know coaching goes beyond um jobs job job placement and i'm not saying just job placement i mean job placement of course is very important job if you have a career let's take an example let's say and it's hypothetical but let's say um you you decided you want to work in the hotel and catering world that was that was where you wanted to work and your career would be learning everything about that world so that ultimately you could open your own hotel so to do so you'd need to take a you need to take jobs several jobs in different places working in different areas so maybe you'd be a waiter maybe you'd work at the front desk um who knows maybe you'd even do a bit of a bit a, 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 bit of time as a chef you know you'd go through all these areas um until you learned all the skills necessary moving ahead in your career so that's the difference now what is unfortunate is that many people well then they're just not in they're not in the career that they they really wanted to be in they they're, they're happy enough you might say they've got good salary they've got a nice house the kids go to school and they're doing quite well and they go on a couple of holidays a year all that great the reality is though on a Sunday night, they kind of put their head in their hands and they go, oh, I really don't want to be doing that tomorrow. Really don't want to be there. Yeah, they and go. that's exactly we've all been through that Sunday night feeling. It's horrible, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Not in RTL, of course, but, you know, no, everywhere else. actually, but, less so because, of course, with news, which I've worked in a lot in my yeah. life, uh, we do work weekends as well. So there's no Sunday night feeling. Oh. It's- <laughs> it's ongoing. It's Tuesday, Wednesday night feeling. Um, <laughs> but I think you know, and and often why why is that? And when you you talk about going down deep into it, what I've found over the last sort of eight or so years I've been doing this is is that um, it's really so much to do with personal values. If if the if the company, if the organisation that you work for, if you what you see and what goes on around you doesn't match your own personal values. You see unfairness, you see discrimination, um, you see bullying, you see all these things that you personally, that's not, that's not my, I don't like selling insurance policies to old ladies who don't need it, you know, whatever, or cigarettes to young kids. You're not going to be happy in your job. So values is really, really uh, important. So, so in, in the work that I do with, with people, we kind of look back and say, what is it that matters to you? What's really important to you? 
Um, and amongst other things like personality and skills and education and so on, how can we now match that to some to a career? Can I? And, pull- yeah. Because I remember a number of years ago, a friend of mine was explaining something akin to this, mm. and she really underlined, put in bold that word values again. Mm. And she said, everything comes back to your values. What are your mm. values? Yes. Really, it, it, it is that thread through your life. Mm. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm not sure what my values are, because mm. for some live our lives and we don't quite know how to find if we had to write down our top three values mm. or mm. yes we life in a certain way but it, it's not as clear cut as it might sound how do people figure out what those right. when they sure. live with uh, this, this let's do a quick training session quick, quick. <laughs> you'll love this because it works so take a blank piece of paper and put a line down the middle and on the left-hand side, with your pen in your hand, we don't use the computer, start thinking about what you really hate. Mm. What gets you really worked up? What, when you see it, upsets you? What is it that when, you, you know, cruelty to, to animals or children, people dropping litter on the street, I don't care what it is. Jot down those things that you really hate. And you will start to, you will start, you'll get three things probably quite quickly. But then as you go on, you'll start to get more and more things. Work at it. Dig into those emotions. What is it that's upset you? What has made you viscerally feel um, bad? When you're driving down the street or when you're in your car, what what did you see? And you saw a lot of it, Lisa, on the news. What what is it? And when you've spent time, and I mean a good bit of time to do that, to really go into yourself, you'll come up with, you could come up with 10 or or more um, things. So you might say unfairness would be one of them let's say you've seen unfairness and it's really what riles you or or dishonesty and it really riles you so put that paper away have a nice you know evening next morning come up turn go back to the paper again and now write the opposite of each of those things you've written down on the other side of the paper so i just said unfairness well clearly the opposite of that would be fairness um you know whatever you've written down and you'll again you'll start to see there on the right hand side those are your personal values that's what matters to you that's what's important yeah. that that works i can see that already i've done my mental line there of <laughs> <laughs> i actually want to jump now to Francoise because mm. on the point we may have our own values and and like all of you i've lived in other places as well and Francoise, you've lived in some very different cultural places yes. another thing is once we've figured out what our values are we then shift culture and those values may have to adapt to a point of what I found is acceptance. When we move country, we have to accept where we find ourselves. I mean, for you, I'm thinking perhaps one of the more unusual places may have been Nigeria, where they have a maybe a very different culture. I don't know. Tell me about the different places you've lived and how you've learned to grow and accept where you've lived. Actually, and Nigeria, for me, a country can be very hard for you, but it, it depends on who you are, actually. You could live very well, 3,000 kilometers away from home, because this country enlightens specific values you are in line with, or 
you could feel very bad on the other side of the of the border because it's it's really really related to who you are to your identity so for me um i underwent culture shocks in all countries but there were elements in all these countries i found in line with who i am i let me give you an example in nigeria i found people very joyful very expansive and it's it's a bit like like me <laughs> I, i enjoy um having fun and i'm i'm quite an extrovert and it was easier for me to some extent to feel more in harmony with the way people behaved though there were cultural differences definitely on the other, other hand when i arrived in luxembourg uh, which is very close to belgium where i was born i found it would be easier and i underwent a culture shock in the same too but on the other hand i appreciated what is quite structured well organized which is also a part of who i am um so the in terms in terms of of values uh, i think what what also matters values connect you is motivate your actions and it's in 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 line in agreement with what what keith said and i want yes. to ask you specialize in interculturality the cof method what is the cof method cof method is stands for cultural orientations framework so it gives you dimensions cultural dimensions that help you understand who you are as a person but it's related to the culture where you were, you were born it's related to to the family environment to the educational environment and so it's uh, it gives you a profile there are seven different categories with subdivisions like for instance how do you manage time not everywhere time is managed the same way or do organizations uh, what's how do they organize themselves um is is there a hierarchy or is there more flat organization but also how do you communicate with others people do not communicate the same way some have a direct style for instance others have an indirect style more formal or informal so all these categories give you um a basic profile of who you are and it's a base for discussion in coaching sessions it helps people to put themselves into perspective and to become aware of elements cultural elements that need to be considered when you move abroad and when you work with people of different cultural environment in an international environment for instance Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing that I wanted to ask you more about was the disc color method. Tell us about the color method. So the the disc is a, a behavioral assessment that's used to 
develop your communication, to perform better, to develop your leadership style too. And it, it works about how you behave, but also why you behave the way you do. And we come back to the values because values support the, the behaviors. And the DISCs stand for dominance, influence, stability, and conformity. So four different styles of behaviors. And it works with colors. So this method works with an analysis of what the colors stand for in terms of behaviors. So if I ask you, for instance, um, when I tell you the yellow color, what kind of behavior would you compare it with? Uh, well, it's bright. It, yes. uh, you don't, uh, slightly extrovert. You wouldn't wear yellow if you're an introvert. It's uh, a happy color. It's a joyful color, I think. <laughs> it yeah. Spring, of course. Um, it's open. I think it's an open color. Yes. Okay. So it gives you an, an idea. So that's how I work with my, my coaches to help them understand the symbols of the color. So there is the red color for dominance, which is more in the negative sense, it could be aggressive. In the positive sense, it gives you a, a drive for action and yeah. energy. Someone who could take, make decisions, who could go for it, who is not afraid of taking up challenges, even though it could create some conflict. With, with some people and so and so on with the different colors and the yellow stands for the influence someone who is radiant who likes to influence others so okay. it's also how we perceive reality and how we adjust and how we adjust according to our perceptions that's right Either we go for it or we undergo i didn't think about what color i was wearing this morning i just wanted yeah. some it can it can and it can have an impact, but it's more internal, your way of behaving. So there 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 are no good or bad bad behaviors. Yes, they can have bad actions, but there is no judgment. It's quite neutral, neutral. So you could not define. Oh, this person wears in in in, in yellow, so she is and and put her in in a box. So it's, it's not like this. So it's colors everywhere. Fire is, is represented as red. The blue is either deep sea in deep sea or the, the sky. Green nature is green everywhere in the world. And so it starts from there, from an understanding, a deep understanding of the colors and then associations with, with behaviors. Yes. And so from then on, with the motivations, understand the, the main universal values we have and yeah. what and in comparison between our behaviors and our motivations. It's very insightful. Yeah. And I wanted to, I mean, I'm looking at the fact that we're we're the females on the conversation and we have quite bright colors and, and the male. You're saying we're dull, aren't you? No. You're saying, you know, <laughs> <that's fine. laughs> Men 
in the past have not had so much opportunity to wear colour, but that's changing now, I think. Men can wear colour much more than it used to be the case in years gone by. And I think older women as well. I look at my mother next door, she adores fashion and um, she wears a lot of colour. And I think uh, we can use it as an experimental thing also, not just for ourselves, but just it's changing now. And I, I make that point, actually, because, Francoise, you deal mostly with women. And why is that? First, out of empathy, because, because I, I'm a woman and the experiences I had, um, I had my own perception as a woman. So there is, of course, nothing against men because I can also work with men too definitely I'm not sexist at all and and uh, because living abroad what is expected of a woman is different from countries women are not accepted the same way everywhere they sometimes they there are roles behaviors they are expected from them in some societies and not all countries are ready to accept women at some positions for instance I'll just let me give you a simple example. Probably it would never happen in, in Luxembourg, but in other countries, um, it may happen. Um, a female manager uh, is discussing. It was in South Korea, and she was discussing with uh, a Korean counterpart, a businessman, and this businessman never directly talked to the female manager. He addressed his questions to the subordinate, to the colleague, a male colleague. And that's kind, if you are not prepared for that kind of situation, that's, it is just an example. But it needs time to understand, to accept that kind of situation. That's just an example. Um, and I, I, I think usually women more than men need to adjust their behaviors when they go abroad. Another thing is that um, there are still many women who go and live overseas abroad and who stop their career to go with their partner. Though nowadays many more women go on their own to accept missions, but they often need to reinvent themselves Living abroad is often less perceived as a continuum than, than for, for some men. This is one aspect. Another aspect, I think their perception of reality is different. And therefore, they develop different priority values, I believe, such as harmony, unity, even peace. And they, I think they have a natural sensitivity to what is created and what needs to be preserved. And living abroad gives you a wider perspective of reality and women abroad have this ability to develop greater awareness in a, in a different environment. And um, well, I, I'm, I support women because I, I think they can find a fair balance of complementary talents and strengths. And living abroad puts you out of, out of your comfort zone, for sure. It questioned who you are. It questioned me. And I think if I had been trained or coached, as I wished I, I do with my coaches, I think I, I would find, I would have found myself um, who I am faster. 
yeah, in, in the rent. And then it's a good way to find um, your identity, to develop new talents and to find your life purpose. I think that's a very, very well put. And uh, yes, I've lived some of those experiences myself. And I, I want to just underline for many of our listeners who are expats, and it's usually the story of the trailing spouse, mostly still the woman. Um, you said that is not viewed as a continuum, and that's a really nice reframing of it, to view that part of one's life as a continuum. It's not a stop of my career, but it's just a continuum learning new things. And actually, uh, just turning to the other side of that, in a way, Lindsay, you deal mostly with men, from boys, teenagers, right up to adult men. So why have you chosen in your career path to focus more on the male mindset? Lisa, I don't think I chose it. I think it was some sort of calling because growing up, working in aviation with my upbringing, I was a very insecure man. So I never wanted to be around men per se. Um, so I never really got into coaching, looking to work with men. To be honest, I was more in safer around women. So I gravitated more to women due to my own insecurities that never showed because I compensated really well through success, through physicality, through sports. I had really good defense mechanisms to protect me from my own vulnerabilities that I couldn't reckon with. And now that I'm doing work on that side and I'm finding strength, liberation, more self-love, more confidence, I find men coming towards me. I was just reflecting yesterday. I worked with six men in different, different dynamics from boys to fathers. And I found it really strange reflecting, uh, on how this is something I never chose, but it just keeps pulling me towards that direction. Mm -hmm. And let's go back then to your life in Zimbabwe. And at 22, still a young age, you moved to England. I don't know where in England. <laughs> uh, aviation, you say, so I could give a couple of guesses. But um, I imagine there was a bit of a culture and temperature shock there. <laughs> and landscape and light and nature and everything. That couldn't have been easy. Um, I don't know if it was, I, I arrived in summer and I was in Colchester at first and then moved to Ramsgate and Margate and Bristol and London. So I always stayed in the South. Being an English, Zimbabwe is a British colony. So we didn't have too much of a culture shock in terms of language and, 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 and ways. Um, there's a lot of, I have a lot of family in the UK. So I also coming to Luxembourg was diff more difficult because I had nobody here. I came totally in the dark. Um, told literally because I drove at night, um, but <laughs> it wasn't so much of a culture. Uh, it wasn't my first time really living leaving Zimbabwe, so for me it was exciting and it was I was young and robust and I wanted to grab the bull by the horns and it was going to listen to me. It doesn't work that way anymore. I, I know it doesn't, um, but it was it was a nice experience and uh, yeah, I, I, it wasn't so much of a culture shock that. Uh, <laughs> Good to hear, but also um, when you mentioned the places you lived, they're quite nice places in the UK as well, the southeast corner. Um, just thinking, though, about you mentioned your own insecurities. I mean, when you meet you, first of all, you don't strike somebody as being insecure in any way at all. So it must be lovely for other men to hear that actually, you know, it's not so easy for me. And I think, you know, up until 
quite recently, men have not been able to give a voice to that. They haven't been allowed to vocalize any insecurities. Now it's beginning to happen, but it's still not as prevalent. I mean, women, we talk about everything. <laughs> We're quite open. Not all women, but a lot of us, we, we are talkers. Men still hold a lot inside. Uh, so how do you help that? Um, I'm starting a little bit of a movement. We did our first event a few weeks ago with a couple of other men, uh, a young Luxembourgish guy, he's 25, and a more elderly one, he's 40. And we was trying to bring a bit of community mixed with actual structure. So me bringing the coaching side, the other gentleman bringing survival tactics because he works in the special forces in the army here in Luxembourg and the younger guy bringing more youth and breathwork techniques. So we're bringing more constructive unity rather than just sitting together around a campfire and talking stories. Um, but on the professional front, uh, through the coaching, similar to Keith and Francois bringing the training and expertise, not so much life experiences. We're not supposed to lead with our life experiences because then we go a little bit into mentoring slash influencing, but it does play a part, your experiences. Um, so yeah. I don't have a question. Yes, uh, but you, you also bring up that word mentoring. How important is it for young males, boys, teenagers to have a role model either within their family or beyond in the community they, they see and observe around them, their environment? I feel it's more important than ever. And this is something I'm, I'm advocating a lot for, bringing more of a... I don't like this because it discriminates a bit, but a healthier masculine energy to, to society. And, and something I put in our topics of discussion was the future. And I work with a lot of young boys and then I reflect on me and I say to them, I can't admire you enough for working with a coach at your age. I'm talking from 12 years old, 14 years old. And they text me and they call for sessions, even outside of their parents arranging, um, looking for something deeper and more meaningful. And I, I find this so fascinating because I never had that. And I had male role models around, but they no judgment on them, but they weren't the most healthy of influences due to their own belief systems and upbringing. But seeing, worrying, not worrying, but be concerned about the future and, and how men are going to show up because we, we need a healthy man. You know, mm -hmm. to to protect, to guide, to to look after for the kids, for the girls, and um, I, I believe something beautiful is coming, but it it needs some some awareness and some energy put into it. And do you feel that in the more recent times, where females have become stronger with a stronger voice, and perhaps social media has helped that a little bit, <laughs> um, that the role of a woman has changed in in different societies. Do you feel men are trying to reestablish a, a, a different place, perhaps because of that, around that? Uh, Lisa, I'm not I, when I when I reflect on the healthier masculine, I don't think a healthy masculine man has any issues with a woman being strong. You would actually empower her. Um, I feel when we have that, 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 that line of women becoming stronger and men having a little bit of a trying to find themselves is because the man isn't safe in himself. Because theoretically, we shouldn't have any issue with the woman being, I believe in empowering women. Um, but you can only empower when you are empowered. Otherwise, you're mm -hmm. going to be by power, regardless of whether it's a woman or a man or anybody. So I, I feel and my methodology and my coaching and my, my philosophies, it always comes home to who you are. 
and who you are will reflect on what kind of problems you have outside of you, how you see the world and how you respond to what you see. So. Thank you. Keith, coming back to you, something that uh, you spoke about before uh, in a message to me was the work-life mm. balance. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. uh, you don't believe in the work-life balance. Yeah, let's, let me put that into, into context. <laughs> but, but first of all, great to hear. I, I just want to say a little word on, on what Lindsay's doing there in particular, and obviously Francoise as well. But with what Lindsay's saying, you know, I think for, for men, you know, you have to realise that men are vulnerable too, and men, men cry and men have issues, and they, they are and have been for so long been told to keep a stiff upper lip and not show that. And uh, and that's and that's uh, that's something that I think has not been to our detriment quite quite a lot of the, of the time. Anyway, uh, work life balance. Okay, if you put your two hands out in front of you, and on your left hand you say, okay, that's that's my home life, and if you've got a home life where, and this won't apply, I hope, to any of us, but you've got your pet dog that's just run off, can't find him, uh, you've got a leaking roof. And you, you've just got a phone call from the police station saying that your son has been taken in for, for doing something. You, that stress that you take to work, you cannot not take that to work. You take that to work. Now, on your right hand at home, um, uh, you brought that to work. But uh, when you get to work, you've got a bad boss, a bullying boss who's causing problems for you. The type of work you're doing, you really doesn't motivate you anymore. And you also see absolutely no chance of career advancement. Well, you take that home, you think about that and dwell on that when you go home. So if you just put your hands together, it's just life. It's just life. And, and, and I believe that we have tried to segment and separate these two issues, that you can somehow have a balance and that you are somehow two parts. You're the same person. You're living that one life. And so what really I'm talking about there is that what, what we're looking for is, is integration. It's a work-life integration. You know, it's about finding some sort of harmony in your life. And we it goes saw, back again to the to the values. We saw that a lot during COVID time. I think people literally saw <laughs> on oh. talks like this what goes on behind. <laughs> yeah. And interestingly, this is a bit like a like a 2020 uh, rehash, isn't it, of COVID times mm. with us doing mm. this on uh, on Zoom. And I'm expecting a cat to walk across any minute or, you know. Well, I can hear my dog barking. <laughs> And my poor mother is probably trying to keep her quiet unsuccessfully, but <laughs> I think my dog can feel my presence here. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think that's true, and and it comes down to this another issue really um, is is being yourself and being yourself at work. If you're a happy person and you've got values and and a, and a personality and a style, maybe a bit extroverted, as I think Francoise Lindsay and I all are actually, but and you probably Lisa, but if if you've got that trying to stifle that trying to hide that trying to bury that for some for, for other people because you want their, their their them to be pleased with you this is ne you're never going to be really that happy and often you see that where people put on a role they go to work and they say okay now I'm a leader now I'm a manager so I have to put this suit on and I have to act in this particular way and mm -hmm. that that no you're the same person if you've if you see something funny, then make, and it happens at work and it's funny, laugh with people. If you're kind and generous at home, why aren't you kind and generous at work? So this is what I dislike about the whole concept of the work-life balance as being two very separate entities, whereas in reality, to me anyway, 
it's just one it's life yeah and the other thing that you talk about is that it's almost never too late to change career no. my goodness my goodness it's not spent all my life in the public sector first in the uk ministry of defense then in the international world again but international public sector had a fantastic career loved it but um you know, I was able to to retire, to leave work early, which was great, and do what I wanted to do and actually did that. So now I moved into the private sector, this scary private sector where you have to do everything for yourself, your tax and your insurance and all that other good stuff. And um, I discovered that the people working that I'm working with in the private sector are no, no different from those people in the public sector either, actually. But again, that, that <laughs> no. was a big realisation for me because <laughs> if there's any public sector people listening, let me give you a true truism here. You're told all the time in the public sector, oh, in the private sector, they'd never put up with that. They'd never put up with bad management or that sort of thing going on. They'd sort it out. Well, they don't. It, they don't. There's exactly the same nonsense going on in the public and the private sector and the same great things, the same good people, the same good things happening as well. So that was, that was the thing. And I, the most successful people I've seen, I'm honestly proud as heck for them because of what that they have done have flipped in their forties and fifties from one type of work to something completely different. People who are in the finance world, a lot of those in Luxembourg who've left at senior levels, and one person, finance director, now a teacher. Love it. Another person, this is my one I love the most. You won't know who they are, so that's okay. This person went from working in an office, nine to five, doing all that good stuff, now drives a train. At 60. So it's never too late. And, and when people can have that courage to be able to, to, to think, okay, I'm, I'm still fit, I'm still healthy, I've still got a lot to give, I can move into something different. I just need someone to help me move that way. It can be done. Help people who I have described to me as having golden handcuffs. Yeah. Who are in a very secure position. You mentioned yeah. the world. Yeah. They have things sewn up. Yeah. Perhaps I, I literally have friends who've said this to me. Mm. They work in the European institutions where life is very gentle when it comes to uh you know, they get a certain amount of time off, they get certain uh, dispensation for X, Y, and Z. It's a lot to, in their eyes, give up. Yeah, it is. So it they're is. not happy in their work. It is. It is huge. And, and you need to be brave to make a big change. I also am very practical with people. And you think you're not going to give up your, you're not going to jump from 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 one if you're a frog from one lily pad to another until you know you're safe and secure. So you don't have to necessarily be giving up one, but you need to be working on the second, uh, the second thing that you you plan to do until the time is right. Then you can, then you can move into that. So to don't do anything rash. I mean, the, the worst thing I think that people can do, although I fully understand it is to say, this is ridiculous. Can't put up with this anymore. I'm going in to see the boss and here's my resignation. You do that in a fit of peak and then, you know, act in haste, repent at leisure because you haven't thought that one through really very well. So it does take a it does take a bit of um, you, you need something to support you. But my goodness, it can be done. That's all I'm saying. If it's planned and it's done well, you can change. And just to say really to help you with that, when you're 80 and you're looking back at your life, you do not want to be saying, I wish I'd done something else. 
I just wish I always wanted to do and I just wish I'd done that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think most of us agree with that. It's just not all of us feel we have those options. No, and no. Sometimes no, in different ways. Mm. For instance, uh, Francoise, I don't know if you were a trailing spouse, but sometimes things are forced upon us, a change in life that make us act in a different way. And I think the hardest is for people who are in that linear career, which is becoming more and more rare, but it still certainly exists in Luxembourg. And where they have that linear path, oh, a step up, oh, a step up, oh, a step up. And that kind of like step by step, a little bit more money every year. And then that pays for the bills, X, Y, Z. How do you talk to people, Keith, in order to transition? Yeah. If what they want to do so they can just either be content with not transitioning or make that leap how do you have those conversations well the conversation has to first of all the person has to be willing to do it and wanting to do it it can't be half-hearted it's a bit like giving up smoking if you're not if you don't want to give up smoking don't try and give up smoking you have to want to do it so that's the first thing uh, so we talk about that very very carefully and very deeply. The second thing is to be safe and not to do anything silly and rash. That's obviously very important. People have mortgages. They have things that they have to do. So we go through all that. Um, I, I, you know, there, there's no simple answer. Every simple, every single case, every single person, it's a different set of circumstances. But Lisa, there are people that are so, excuse my swearing, if it's called swearing, damn unhappy, that they're just, just you know, their whole life is a misery anyway. But they're still hanging on in there in the hope, well, maybe it'll get better, <laughs> you know. And there are other people, honestly, who, who've, who've said, Keith, I made that change. I was scared. I didn't want to do it. I've never been happier. I'm not saying everyone says that, but I have had people never been happier. I'm so happy I did that. And, and do you yeah. part of that happiness comes from the fact that they've taken back a little bit of control? Yeah. And that helps us when we feel like we are at least in control of some of our choices. Absolutely. Absolutely. I thought you were going to talk Brexit then. We better not talk Brexit. But uh, yeah, taking back control. You are in charge of your own life. And this is the big thing as well, is that, again, for, for many people, we think that other people are looking after us. Let's be really throw some cold water over you here. No one cares about your career. No one cares about it as much as you do. You know yourself. You know what you want. You know what you what what matters to you. You know all those things. Other people with the best will in the world, they love you, they care for you, but they're not you. Yeah. And that's it. No, that, that makes total sense. Francoise, uh, you're writing a book uh, and you have a podcast to women abroad. Tell us firstly some of the interesting, what is one of the highlights from the podcast that you do, Women Abroad? Any nuggets of advice there for us? One of the, the weird and the most extraordinary piece of advice one of the women I interviewed said is that go with the flow of your life. It may, and she explained that accept that what new circumstances can bring something good to you and accept that you don't have everything under your control. So let it go at one moment. And specifically when you, you go abroad, you make a decision and to rebound on what Keith said, uh, people and are, some people are unhappy, 
but there is stability in their life. Mm-hmm. So if they change, there will be a disruption. They don't know what to expect, though they can read a lot of things about the new country, for instance, new position. But still, there is this uncertainty that it's, it's, it's frightening. But as long as you have not tried, you will you don't know what good can come next. Um, and so for me, uh, and so go with the flow with of your life, but also trust yourself. Trust that you are able to cope with a new situation, that um, that you will meet new people that can make you evolve, that you can change, that you can grow as a person. So for me, um, change is frightening, definitely. For everyone, it's natural when you don't know something. It's it's frightening. But change is often the key to evolve. And I think the important is to lift the needs. Many people stay at a very low level of needs. If you have the Maslow pyramid of needs, you have a roof over your, your head, you have food, you have a good salary, you may have some many, many, many people don't even have this salary and this roof and just have enough food for for a day. And lift your needs and consider other things. What makes you in line with yourself? We talked about values, but we can also think, what do I really want to achieve? In, oh. in this life. And the more you are exposed to new situations, the more you open your mind and your soul, your heart to something new and something uh, that you'd like to discover, that you'd like to explore. But when you stay, when you stick in the same situation, it's, it's quite, it's quite, it's, it remains limited at one point. But not everyone has the same expectations in life. Not everyone is aware the same way. So, and that's why exposing you to, well, to a new culture definitely helps you to, to expand, to stretch your inner limits, your false beliefs. For instance, now all do a job where you make other people feel better, and you work with people in order to improve their lives, which I imagine gives back to you. It makes you feel better by helping others. And some of the words that you used, Françoise and Lindsay, you as well, they have this spiritual dimension. Mm-hmm. And so for you, you you spend a long time working in the aviation industry, and then you've come to this life coaching work where you do a lot of work with men in particular and boys. Just reflecting on that and the fact that you give back, how important do you think it is for somebody to have a job where they give back, or at least if it's not in their job, to have a component of their life where they're giving back to society? And alongside that, you have a spiritual dimension to your work. The two are sort of combined, but they're different as well. Is that just an open question there? Yes, Lisa. Mostly of Lindsay, but it is an open question because it it, it, it really is something that you all do. Mm -hmm. Lindsay. Lindsay, would you like to? 
Okay, I feel like I'm in the spotlight now. Everybody, Lindsay. <laughs> you know, Lisa. For me, listening to that question, I love it, and I feel the spiritual element is there. We don't. We don't need to go into this. It's it's driving every single person, from the the, the Maslow's philosophy to the finding your values. It's always at the base of everything we do, but. I feel no matter what you're doing, the biggest contributing factor we can have to society is the being the best version of you. So removing a lot of your trauma, your pain, your negative perceptions of the world, because I feel from my discovery of myself, what I'm working on with me and the people I work with, it doesn't matter where they come from, from the corporate world, from fathers to boys to, to mothers to girls, they're all looking for that who am I and how much of this internal resistance can I minimize? Because it's the internal resistance that's causing havoc on the body that now with our modern society from social media to, to drugs, to alcohol, we have all these ways of coping, which are highlighting the amount of stress we're carrying inside due to the conditioning inside. So I don't know if it matters what you do outside. For me, the gratification came in coaching because I wasn't good inside. So helping people made me feel better about me, but I wasn't good in me. Now that I'm good in me to a degree, <laughs> I don't doesn't drive me as much because I feel that I give from me rather than needing from outside. So I feel my message would be just as long as you can be as good with you as possible to minimize projecting your pain onto the world, your colleagues, your kids, your spouses. Minimize that, and then you're contributing to the world in the best way you could ever. Lindsay, I mean, Keith, I think you had a comment to make. Well, this. only, of course, none of us are perfect. And, uh, and <laughs> co coaching, you know, we, get, we have a lot of, lot of training and, and, and do a lot of things to make sure we try to be the best we possibly can be. And one of the things is to try to remove the ego, which we all have, and and stop telling people how they should be and actually stop and listen really and, and try to see the world through their eyes because everybody sees it subtly differently. Um, so in some cases you do, it's interesting you talked about that spirituality because in it, looking at everything that's going on in a person's life, that is sometimes the area which people haven't really considered that are they really, are they seeing beautiful, are they going places and, and, and seeing fine art or doing beautiful things and doing something to enrich themselves in that way? Um, and it doesn't take much to do it. Even a walk in the woods can be can be something that's incredibly uplifting. But I like that you raised that point because I do think that's the part for most of us that was really pushed down, really kind of covered up. Are there certain things that you're trained to help people find when you're coaching people in order to bring, I imagine there's probably lots of different pillars that one has to take off Apologies for things coming in, <laughs> buzzes. Um, I imagine there's different pillars that people have to try to incorporate as much as possible into life in general, not just the working life, but that's one part of a set of pillars. What would they be? You want... Um, Francoise, maybe. <laughs> Francoise, do you, do you have a set of pillars for a person's life? which help me to support the people I train or I coach. Is I, it? Mean, I mean, as a life coach, are you trained in 
helping people find those those points in their life to try to incorporate them. And Keith was just talking about finding beauty, whether it be a walk in the woods or going to a museum, looking at fine art, whatever it might be, to, to incorporate as many tick points in a person's personal and professional life together combined. Because again, as Keith said, they're not unconnected. I think what I... I enjoy using is to make them embrace life from multiple perspectives, from the multiple aspects of life. And because some people are very cognitive, so very intellectual, and so they need um, more reasoning to go deeper into themselves, other with pictures, with music, with, I, I enjoy using images because it connects people and everyone understands an image uh, differently. And as I'm, I also wanted to mention that as a coach, it's really important if we want to support others, we need to work on ourselves too. We can't help support people to become more grounded if we are not grounded ourselves. So it's a constant um, personal development, mm-hmm. inner de- personal development. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to then ask you, Francoise, uh, just as we round up, a little bit about the book that you're writing. Yes. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a road guide that takes women abroad to a transformative journey in seven steps, starting from their roots to the search of their life purpose. And in between, there is a travel abroad, travel or travels abroad. And for those who are ready for the journey, living abroad triggers self-discovery and awareness of the world around them and the place they can take in this world. And I'm also inviting women to bridge cultural differences and believe in their potential to leverage harmony, more harmony, unity, and peace. That's very important for me. And in other words, encouraging cross-cultural connections beyond the differences as is a way to acknowledge the universal in all of us and promote what is good in all of us too. And Lindsay, do you have a final call out for any, well, it doesn't have to be men, you don't just work with men, but boys, men, teenagers, anything that we should be aware of as women? How should we interact more wholesomely with men or boys? <laughs> you know, Lisa, all that comes to heart right now is I'm learning to master the arts of opening your heart and creating more love. I know it might sound really philosophical and deep, but I feel that the human soul is yearning for that. And I, I feel when that happens, a lot of forgiveness, self-acceptance, harmony starts being generated from within and then relationships between everybody gets easier. Many of us live with closed hearts, which shows through the body, through ailments, through coping. But once you practice the art, like any exercise of opening your heart and learning to cultivate love, not the intimate romantic love that we seem to fixate on, but within you to heal you, to liberate you, then relationships, interrelationships become so harmonious organically. I don't know, that would be my last message. <laughs> That's a lovely message. Yeah, I I have one more kind of pertinent question to you. 
because we've had a few sessions on this over the last few weeks in my interviews and it's the the changing landscape of work mm. because you have ai coming in many jobs will be automated uh etc and so how do you see that change in the landscape of the workplace oh, i'm 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 absolutely blown away by what artificial intelligence can do and if you consider that it only really came out kind of last october it's this is the year of this is uh, in in any real real term with chat gpt so this is the year of transition it's unbelievable what what artificial intelligence will be able to do uh for good and i guess for evil uh it could be but um my my message on that would be for everyone is don't be afraid of it we all use siri we use alexa we use satnav we use mobile phones we've done all this we've got into that this is a significantly bigger jump but it is still something that we as humans will be able to use and the future of work is definitely going to involve that in, in a huge way um it will reshape job landscapes but here's a quickie if you've got children do not negate practical elements either because the people that they're not talking about but who will also be very much needed in the future and will be able to command good salaries and uh, uh, you know drive nice cars will be plumbers there'll be electricians uh, there'll be the people that are doing things which which artificial intelligence and robotics can't do at least currently so um you know don't don't think that uh you know the, the trade skills are in any way going to fade they're not it's the back office work it's the accountancy it's all those other things which currently people are doing which definitely ai can do quicker faster smarter yeah you mentioned alexa there uh, and and the call that just came in on this was my mother i'm sure she's uh, currently <laughs> my poor dog and <laughs> And I have to tell you, it's no, it's no promotion for Alexa at all. However, she does ask that uh, uh, machine to play dog music for my. <laughs> if there is yeah. a dog. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's there. Yeah. Good and, for timing uh, as well. <laughs> yes. And Keith, let's have the final message from you. The final message from me is is uh, be confident. there's three things you need first of all you need to know yourself and then you know deeply you need to know who you are you need to know what you want really want out of your life and the third thing is you need to know how to get it apologies that 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 is so uh, a great message and uh, yeah my phone keeps buzzing well, know yourself <laughs> know yourself know what you want and know how to get there <laughs> Yes okay that well that gives us a great direction for our lives i am so grateful to all of you and uh, you can see that this is certainly a more relaxed episode with things flying all around me the holiday the- edition <laughs> <laughs> it and sort of a family holiday which yeah. is you know combined with everything we've spoken about the reality of life i, I really appreciate your time and everything Thank that you. you've to be able to advise people in in such a wholesome way a grounded way from the roots up as you said uh, Francois uh, so that we can really reflect on what's brought us to the place that we are in right now and how with all of the experiences unique experiences we all have and certainly that's true in Luxembourg we all bring to Luxembourg an enormous range of unique experiences how we can try to help those around us in the circles that we end up falling into accidentally and enjoying those accidental circles of life 
Thank you all so Thank very, you very, very much, Lisa. Thank, Thank you very much, Lisa, for, for the invitation. Thank, Thank you, Keith. Thank you. Thank you.